dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ, Sister. Glory to him forever, Father. I just forgot the response for a second. <laughs> that that, that happens. been saying that for many years. I had somebody, one of our guests yesterday at the Divine Liturgy, she says, um, that's amazing how you say everybody's name when you when you give them the Eucharist. And she said, that was so beautiful. It was like her first liturgy. And she goes, and I, I came up with the mask on and I only met her once, but it was one of those things where where I, like the one time I met her, she actually had a, a big impression on me. And then, so then we exchanged phone numbers. And then because of the phone number, I, get, I think I'm a visual learner. So uh-huh. I saw her name. So when she came up, I was like, that's her. Anyway, so I remembered her name and she was so, Impressed. I remembered all these people's names. I'm like, believe me, it's. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there after after a year. But it's. Um, we. I have these. I, I want to say we priests, but I'm really the the only one who knows I do this. But like ways of, of kind of fumbling through names or not saying names in a in a way that. Uh, do you that think that's people might because not get offended? I've, I've noticed. <laughs> oh, I can tell. I, I've stopped. I've stopped, like I, I would, I'll do things like, I'll just, I'll just say it really quietly mm-hmm. and I won't say the name. I'll just like say, you know, serve God and I'll say it really quiet and hope that they, or I'll start, I will start saying it early before they get close enough to me to hear mm-hmm. so that by the time they get to me, they maybe think I already said the name, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> or, or I will, uh, or, or I'll just kind of wait until either that I, I won't start it and I'll wait till they get there. And then I'll hope that they just say their name. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's like, if it's not someone that I should know their name, but you know, maybe I heard it once. I'm just kind of out of hope they say the name. Anyway, for those of you that are listening and don't know what we're talking about, in the Byzantine rite, uh, the priest says, greets, the, um, greets the, the person who's coming up for, to receive the Eucharist and says, a servant of God, John, receives the precious, most holy, most your body and blood of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ for the mission of his sins and for life everlasting, amen. So um, traditionally you, you would actually tell the priest your name or the deacon your name or the bishop whoever's giving you the Eucharist, well, well you'll tell it to them before they begin that greeting. Mm-hmm. But obviously the way it works is, is that we're supposed to know people's names after a while. Um, but man, when you're doing one person after the other, I, I have forgotten, I have called people I know really well the wrong name. Or, or forgotten, forgotten people's names that I know really well, and it's just like one when you're doing it one after the other, and different people's brains work different ways. And oh yeah, you yeah. forgot my name after like five years or something. <laughs> did I call you the wrong name, or did I pause, or what? I don't remember this. Um, you just paused and looked very, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like very terrified. Deer in headlights. Yeah, oh. <laughs> but then, but then you remembered it. Um, but the. The yeah, there was a. I often was the one to hold the illaton for you, which is the the cloth that we hold mm-hmm. as someone's receiving communion in case any of the body or blood um, drop from the spoon. So we hold it underneath to to catch his body or blood if it falls. Um, and so because I was the one holding it for you, I remember we had one family at the parish who had um, maybe nine kids at the time, mm-hmm. and. And you just like, you couldn't, there's, they all look very similar. They're all similar ages and it's, um, and it was, it was hard. So I would say their names for you as they came up mm. um, so that you would, so that you would know it. I have a family here that, that have very, very Catholic names, most of them, mm-hmm. um, but they all have nicknames that everybody calls them that is not yeah. 
you know, that, that, that is not, uh, that doesn't like explicitly identify the Catholic name. Um, so it's, you know, so I, I get those, plus they have lots of kids, kind of same thing and getting them. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember the name and it's not coming to me because it's, there's, there's a lot of like Catholic hippies here in Southern California uh-huh. and they shout out to the Schneers, how they have tree, which is, I That's think- That's exactly who I was thinking of. <laughs> which is Hope's friend's name, I believe, growing up, who was also mm-hmm. a hippie. Um, there's another family here with the name that I just met yesterday, the kid's name was Hero. You know, these are these are amazing Catholic families, like yeah. very, very solid. And I mean, I, I they must have like Catholic middle names. I've just never asked. Um, maybe after I've been here a while longer, like they'll have the Catholic middle name. But it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's a very important, especially honestly in the Byzantine church to have a, a patron saint that you're named after, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to have that name. It doesn't matter if it's your first name, in my opinion, the first name, middle name, third name, you know, as, as long as part of your, your name given to you um, ideally given to you by by your parents or what that you give your children ha- has they have a patron um what is what is what is junta's uh jane marigold marigold yeah after so, john so chrysostom so jane marigold is for john chrysostom cuz chrysostom is golden tongued and jane is the female of john and and then marigold for john the golden tongue so like i love that i love that it's it's you know Jane Marigold, and it's like, oh, that that's how just a beauty. They love Junta's love names, and they also and have Augustine names. Basil that you used yeah. to call you used to call Augie Bays when you Augie Bays. Yeah, <laughs> gave that him never, communion. That never caught on. No, <laughs> like, are you guys calling him Augie Bays? You're like, no, no. Father. good try though. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> yeah, I have a. I was telling a priest friend here that everywhere I've lived, I've always had a nickname, always. Mm-hmm. And you know, Hakim or Olo or Olaf or um, Frollo. I mean, all these all these nicknames I've had that that change wherever I move, and I don't have one here yet at all. People just call me Father Michael. Watch um, out! But somebody tried last night. He just it was one of my one of my new friends. Shout out to Mike Miley. Um, he just says, "I'm going to call you FM." I'm like, "Well, that's they're, they're uh, Father Brian Larkin in Denver. One of our old buddies from the Catholic Stuff podcast would they called him FB, and that's like." For Father Brian, and that that was yeah. everybody called him that in this parish. Everybody called him FB. I'm like, well, FM. If if that if that catches on, it's kind of a radio. This is a he's a he's a rock drummer as a living. I mean, mm-hmm. he. Uh, so I'm like, well, if 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 you're if you're a rock drummer, then you you must think it's cool, like it's a music type thing. FM, like FM radio. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. We'll see if it catches on. I don't think it will. <laughs> Eventually, though, hopefully, I'll have a nickname after being here a while because I do like nicknames. Mm. All right. Well, I just bantered with myself for six minutes. <laughs> I said a couple things. <laughs> did Andrew? Did Andrew Whaley make you coffee again? Is that why you're you're just he like did. hyped up on caffeine? Oh, maybe. I I, I had you look two tired, cups of coffee. Though. I am. Um, I was I was up so late last night and the nights before. I just have stopped sympathizing because this is <laughs> this is always the story. It's always the story. And right before I came on, I literally was like, I have all Monday, like I'll be done with office work at like 7 p.m. today. And and I have the whole evening. So I literally texted like three different groups of friends like, hey, hey, want, want to hang out tonight? I'm like, what am I doing to myself? Father Michael. I know. Ugh. I know. Your wounds are foul and festering the results yeah. of your own folly. Very true. <sighs> Okay, but I am drinking. I am drinking whatever Andrew really made me: um, coffee, pour over V sixty, Harajuku Hario. or whatever. Hario. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ario, um, and it's he's an amazing coffee maker. So, but the funny thing is, like, he likes it a lot cleaner. I love French press, and he always makes these pour overs that are so mm. much cleaner, less chewy. I like my coffee chewy. I my favorite pour over was the one that they stopped. Um, they stopped serving at Aviano that we used to. Um, was it Chemex? Oh yes, yes, you're right. They did stop. It was either Chemex or Solo. Whichever of those is the more oily, and yes. they stopped serving it. And that was my favorite. I was my favorite as well, and I think it was. I think it was Solo. I don't remember. I I, I ordered it every day. And now I forgot. I know um, it was either Solo or Chemex. Yeah. The reason I forget That's is right. because I switched to ordering the other one every day once mm. it, um, or every time I went, once they stopped serving the one. So I don't remember which was yeah. which, but. Shout out to Aviano Coffee in Denver. Yeah. If you're in Denver, go check out. They opened up a second location. I think they have a third location now in a hotel. They're awesome. Um, Doug, the owner, I, I blessed it before they opened, reopened. What, man, I saw, I just popped up on Facebook. I think it was like 11, 12 years ago. Mm. There's, a, like that. there's a similar place that I used to go to when I was in Kansas City called Oddly Correct. So if you're in Kansas City, mm-hmm. it's in it's in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, check out Oddly Correct. It's also really good. And my new favorite place here <clears throat> is Earth Cafe, U-R-T-H. If you're in LA, you know it. Just really good outdoor seating during COVID because we can't be inside. Mm. And the Santa Monica location is where I hang out most. is like a block from the beach. And it has like a beautiful courtyard where you can sit. Everybody's got their laptop out. It has like the best acai berry bowls ever. And yeah. One of my new hangouts. All right, what are you drinking? So over COVID. I am drinking, shout out to Flannery, who is one of our listeners, and she came on Pustinia. um, And she brought, because because I stated that I like Belgian triples, IPAs, and stouts, she brought brought some Guinness because she's Irish. And that's not what I'm drinking right now because it's not a feast day and it's only two o'clock in the afternoon. But I'm drinking, she also brought um, some mocha Keurig pods Mm. because I've mentioned on the podcast before that I was drinking um, hobo mochas and stuff, like mixing hot chocolate and coffee. Um, The pods that she gave are just like a flavored coffee and I don't really like flavored coffee, but I brewed the coffee and then added hot chocolate and it's delicious. So nice. So that's what I'm drinking. Thanks Flannery. And I'm drinking it out of my pints with Aquinas mug. These mugs Uh are great. I'm not trying to rub in the fact that you don't have one. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, they feel really good. They're, I like them. Yeah. Matt Frad, you know, like not know my address or something. If you're listening, like you can look up my parish, Matt, like on the computer, like you can see the parish, and it has the address right there. Father Michael, you, you are can... shameless. <laughs> you're completely shameless. You just uh, want people to send you things and buy you I know, things, and pre- I'm just I'm spoiled. Catholic stuff spoiled me. You are completely spoiled. Oh, yeah. It's pathetic. And not, not only Catholic stuff, but my old parish, the amount of love. That I received and gifts from people, vehicles, shoes, clothing, vacations. That really wasn't parish, but anyway. All right. Um, anything from last time, sister? Yes. Olivia gave me a quote that she wanted me to share. It's very beautiful. You just from- sang her name. Did I? Olivia. You sound like that. Olivia. That was horrible. I just, I just say so often. <laughs> I'm sitting down sipping coffee. That wasn't a good posture um, for singing. 
I was thinking actually because of the last podcast, um, have I ever sang for you? Do you know that we want to do a monastery musical someday? I would not doubt that. that You guys would do. (laughs) And I was thinking because the last topic we were talking about um, obedience and one of the songs that we've already started to put together for the Monastery Musical, we want to rewrite a bunch of Disney songs and stuff. And so one of them is from Aladdin. I'm also drinking coffee, so this is going to be bad. But it's the A Whole New World. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Um, But it's going to go something like this. A whole new world, a new monastic point of view, someone to tell us no and where to go. That's all we've got I so far, it. but yeah, that's going to be. Anyways, yeah. that's not the quote that Olivia wanted me to share, but that's what, um, that's why I sang her name maybe. So, hashtag obedience. Hashtag obedience. Um, I put in some, I started a column in our spreadsheet for hashtags that you can put on Facebook. Did you see that? Oh, uh, nope. That's fine. I'll look at it later on though. Cool. So this quote is from a book called Like a Pelican in the Wilderness. Okay. Um, in reference to the Psalms and it's by... I'm going to butcher this. Stelios Ramphos. Okay. Yeah. Sounds Greek. I should have said that more confidently and no one would have known. Um, (laughs) So this is the quote. A synobium, synobium means communal, communal lifestyle. Like the synobitic life is those who are living in community. A synobium is incompatible with the psychological condition of a compact individuality. Only a person who is perforated can find peace in the will of another. And this must exist as a spontaneous attitude to life, not as an obligation imposed by moral necessity. And um, it's, a, it's a really good quote, but I think what I like most about it is, so, so the point being that compact individuality is not, is not compatible with, with trying to live um, in the cinematic lifestyle, in a, in a religious community. Um, but, but I also like that, that he points out that this obedience, basically, this surrender to the will of another, the finding peace in the will of another, it, um, it has to be an attitude to life, not just an obligation imposed. And this is kind of what you were talking about, Father Michael, when you were saying that um, the obedience to the spouse and the obedience to the superior. It shouldn't just be um, because we feel we have to be obedient. It's its that we should be able to, to see the joy, the gratitude, the fruitfulness, the freedom that comes from obedience um, and that being the, the attitude of life. So that's the quote that yeah. Olivia asked me to share and it's super beautiful. And I love, uh, we, we in the Byzantine Catholic Church and Eastern Christianity, we always, we've kind of hinted at this before, but we always hold the monastic as the ideal for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of times in Western culture, we will, we will say, okay, which one are you called to? Are you called to monasticism or are you called to married life in the world, you know, and, and these kind of two are pitted against each other in one way or the other. But, but in the East, it's, it's pretty explicitly like monasticism is the ideal. Mm-hmm. And, and you, so the, the more monastic you can live in your, in your lay lives, in our lay lives, I mean, I'm a, I'm a quote, secular priest to use the, the Western term, you know, the more monastic I can live, I should, I should be honored to say, I'm called to celibacy, even though I'm living in the world in a, in a in a parish. So, 
I'm going to live as as monastically as possible. And everybody should say that. Married people, um, single people, children. I mean, any any way that we can say, the closer I get to a life of poverty, chastity, obedience, the closest the closer I can get to a life of of structured prayer, the the closest I can get to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. All these things that are that are so perfectly lived, ideally in the monastic life. Um, I can just I can how much can I participate in that reality within the state of life I've been called to? But there should always be this a little bit of a little bit of tension and and movement towards that monastic ideal in whatever married again single, whatever life we're living, whatever state of life we're called to, how can I every year or every month, whatever, however I want to measure it, how can I be a little more monastic? Again, poverty, chastity, obedience, again, within within what we're called to do. So not everybody's called to, to be poor, but there is a sense of poverty, a certain lack that we're all called to have. So, mm-hmm. um, so th- th- this is where I just thought about obedience that way. How does obedience fit into your life? And how can we be more monastic um, in in our our living out of obedience mm-hmm. and, and and perceiving how the Holy Spirit and, and our Lord work through others to help guide us in those ways that we talked about in the last podcast? So yeah. Um, and I also wanted to give. Uh, do you have anything from the last episode before you? Nope. Okay. Um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to. Uh, well, first of all, I found out that Olivia's mom listens to the podcast, so shout out to Olivia's nice. mom. Um, and a shout out also to um, Catherine Marie Page William and someone whose first initial is V because they've all registered for the Bridegroom's Banquet, um, our oh, nice. virtual banquet that we're having in November. So, yeah. Oh, cool. So, that's cool. So, thanks, guys, for your support. Very cool. Hopefully we'll have a lot more shout outs in that way. So check mm-hmm. out our, our our either the recording or the uh, or the Facebook posts. Uh, the texts are coming in. The texts? The texts what about texts? hanging out tonight. <laughs> when I was Michael. like, oh, I have, I have an evening. <laughs> no. That's really funny. You just... Speaking of obedience, um, you Can are you... my spiritual daughter, not my spiritual mother. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm and also the monastic you, you, whom you're supposed to be emulating. That's true. That's true. Okay, I'm gonna eat my old words. If I had not text, started texting them yet, then then I could do that. Um, anyway, texting is done, and they're already they're already saying where. So anyway, we'll make it work. Ugh. All right. Um, so, are you anything else on your mind? No. Okay. Let's, um, let's do it. So uh, I wanted just to continue on what I was doing last time. And uh, we last my topic last time was the the hidden or the beginning the preparation rites uh, for a Byzantine Catholic Divine Liturgy. Um, talked about the priest walking in, uh, priest, deacon, bishop, um, whoever it is, walking in, doing the door prayers outside the iconostas, outside the screen, outside the Holy of Holies, and uh, saying the prayers that prepare him to walk in. Then when he walks in venerates the altar and then gets vested, which are going to the vesting prayers that prepare. And then once he's vested, he goes over to the proscomedia or the, the prosopon altar. Um, and, and there he, uh, there he prepares the bread and wine to become, 
um, not only to be consecrated into the body and blood of our Lord, but then to be distributed. And that that's part of the whole process I talked about last time that I will do a whole podcast on just that later on. And so now I wanna begin the the first half, if you will, it's less than half, but um, the first part of the Divine Liturgy, I'll split my these next two podcasts and then conclude with three podcasts on the Divine Liturgy. But this one will be, this is the Liturgy of the Catechumens. Um, you Roman Catholics, this would be very similar to your, uh, liturgy of the Word, so it, it's just the first part of the of the liturgical action, uh, the liturgical day, the liturgical event that is the Divine Liturgy. That's the better way to say it. Um, so the, all, all of the all the parts done in private are done, and then now I'll start discussing the the parts that, if you just attend the Divine Liturgy, what you will see, um, why those things are there, and then some reflections on them. Great. All right, so uh, the first thing that happens is, is the priest blesses incense that he uses to incense all of the accoutrema, the, the chalice, the discos, the bread, the wine, all the veils that he does when he's doing the preparation, right? So we talked about last time. He blesses that incense. And then the first thing that the people begin to see is then the deacon, if we have a deacon, if not the priest does it, the whole church is incensed. And I talked a little bit about this last time, right? The whole church is incensed. Um, the walls of the church, the apse, the back, the altar, and then the people, then he comes in and then there's a, a dialogue between the priest and the deacon, if you have a deacon, and then the deacon opens the royal doors. Um, this opening of the royal doors is important because as I talked about when I did the tour of the Byzantine temple, those royal doors symbolize the veil, the veil of the temple that was torn in two when Christ died. And, and that veil was what, protected or guarded or separated the things of God from the things of earth. When Jesus died, that veil, that separation was split and there was no more separation. This began with the incarnation when God became man, when God and man um, were both existing in their fullness in the man, Jesus Christ. So in a sense, as soon as, as the Annunciation happened, as soon as, as, as the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, as soon as, as Jesus became a man, that veil in one sense was torn because now there, there's a meeting place. There's no longer separation because of the man, Jesus Christ. Um, but this is when Jesus died, that's when the veil in the temple tore. And again, there's now access to the things of God in a way that there had not been before. So when the deacon opens those royal doors, it's, it's a very visceral sensory way of saying, Here, here's the veil. And we are, we are remembering and participating again in the fact that it was torn. So it's no longer separation, but rather a place of meeting. Beautiful. And then, sorry, you, you looked like you were gonna... I'm I just going to pause every once in a while and make it awkward. And then you just, <laughs> you just jump in if you, if you want to. And if you want to say something, sister, raise your, raise your finger or something like that. So I know. All right. Um, the, right before this, uh, right before the doors were opened, the, the priest and the deacon did do a quick dialogue at the heavenly king. Uh, the heavenly king is the prayer that I think most Byzantines know. It's a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And you're calling upon, I'll say it real quick, heavenly king, comforter, spirit of truth, everywhere present and filling all things, treasury of blessings and giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O gracious one. Um, so it's a prayer of the Holy Spirit because you're gonna pray this asking, again, the Holy Spirit to inspire the work we're about to do 
in this divine liturgy. There is another um, another small dialogue between the priest and the deacon that I'm not going to go into. That that prayer to the Holy Spirit we often pray before meetings, before talks, before spiritual direction, things like that. Just asking, it's it's the prayer that that most people pray of, "Come Holy Spirit," or that a lot of people pray, "Come Holy Spirit, um, come be with us and and guide our words." And we we usually pray that before we podcast actually. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so then that, that again, you're, you're calling upon the Holy Spirit to, to be the, the prime mover and to affect the work we're about to do. Mm-hmm. It's a great prayer for before you do anything really. All right. And then, uh, and then the, uh, the first words that, that the people will hear after this sensation, after the doors are opened, uh, the deacon who who is the MC, the deacon is the master of ceremonies. Um, the idea in a in a Byzantine liturgical action is that the priest is kind of supposed to be so lost in prayer. That's what the priest does. The priest is supposed to be so lost in prayer and focused on standing at the altar and and offering the sacrifice and being in the place of Christ and and praying for the people and and being this intercessor for them and and again being the 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 one who who stands in the place of Christ and offers the liturgy perfectly. So if he's kind of lost in prayer, then the deacon becomes the one to remind him what the next step is. Um, and so the deacon kind of becomes the MC to say, "Oh, Father's lost in prayer again. Now here, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him to remind him that he needs to do this thing." And so the deacon says, "Reverend Father, give the blessing." And um, so oh, oh, I'm supposed to give a blessing now. And the priest takes picks up the gospel book. And he uh, he blesses it. He uses blesses it horizontally. So he's holding the gospel book up, like like. Um, so so it's uh, it's not laying on the altar. It's like standing up. And then he blesses it. You know, he goes away from him, then towards him, then to his left and to his right, kind of blessing the altar with the gospel book. And while he does this, he says, "Blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever." And the people respond, "Amen." I feel like confused. you. I feel like you skipped a line. Maybe it comes later. Uh, it is, what line? It is time for the Lord to act. Is that later? Um, so that that's earlier. That's part of the quiet dialogue. That's part of the silent dialogue. Oh, you love that line so much that I thought that you would have mentioned it. Sorry. Okay. Um, right. So uh, let me just let me just pull this up. I think it is at actually at the beginning of. Da, 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 da. So like right after the royal doors are open, maybe? No, I, th- I, th- I think it's, oh man, sister, you totally called me out on this one. I'm um, really sorry. I didn't, no, I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I didn't mean for that to happen. I am absolutely <laughs> glad you did. And I should know where this is. And, and people that know are right now yelling into their, into their devices. Um, they are, they're shaming you. Maybe the time for the Lord to act is like a <laughs> phrase that, that is often used when people write books or or, or pamphlets on the on the divine liturgy. Oh we should just have gracious. one long pause while you're looking for it and then Steve can just edit that pause out. <laughs> yeah. I, I just I could have sworn I could have sworn it was right before uh there it is. You found okay. it. It's yes, I did. It's it's right. It's right before. So it's the dialogue that happens right before Reverend Father give the blessing. So it's the the deacon has not yet opened the royal doors. 
and he's standing at the priest's side inside the royal doors. And so in a sense, people are not seeing this except unless your unless your iconostas has uh, holes in it so you can mm-hmm. see what's going on in there. And he says, it is time for the Lord to act. Father, give the blessing. Reverend Father, give the blessing. The priest says, he blesses the deacon's hand saying, blessed is our God always now and ever and forever. Amen. The deacon says, Reverend Father, pray for me. The priest says, may the Lord direct your steps. The deacon says, Reverend Father, remember me. The celebrant, the priest says, may the Lord God remember you in his kingdom always now and ever and forever. And then he says, mm-hmm. amen. So if, if nice you're- dialogue. Yeah, if, if you're sitting close enough to the altar, you'll, you'll hear this kind of private dialogue that, that prepares for the, the divine liturgy coming up. And it was literally on the opposite page. I just went way too far back looking for it. Um, <laughs> All right. So when, when, the, when, the, when the priest or, or the bishop says, blessed is the kingdom of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever, amen. Um, one, of this, one of the reasons for this, the sense is, is that we have now left the kingdom of earth. Um, so so he, he, when he says that he's announcing the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, this is a kingdom that is, is in a very real sense outside of space and time. Um, we, we have left the world. And as soon as the divine liturgy begins, there's something transcendent. Um, the angels are there, the saints are there, you know, God is there. That's what we call the divine liturgy. That, that there's, it's, it's, a, it's an announcement of a reality that, that all time and space have now traveled to our little church in, in a completely mystical and supernatural way. And, and the, the transcendent is imminent. The, the, what, is, what is beyond is now present to us. Um, and so when I, the impression I get after having prayed this so many times is that um, that's a moment of just, of great awe and, and possibility. So mm. whenever that happens, I should, I should try to realize what was just announced and the reality of now that the divine liturgy has begun. And, and many would say that it kind of began for the priest earlier in the proscomedia prayers and, and for the deacon, if there's a bishop up there, but here, here's when it really, the, the kingdom of God um, becomes very present in a very, very real way to all of those who are gathered um, in the divine liturgy. So blessed is the kingdom of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever, amen. And then uh, what happens now is, is, is kind of a, is a, a change. I'm guessing it's about the sometime between the, this is a random guess, so if you're a historian, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's gonna be somewhere between like the 13th and 15th centuries, 15th centuries was when the litany of peace and some of these litanies found their way into the divine liturgy. Um, but one of the things that, that is important to remember is for this, for the very beginning of the divine liturgy, the most important part, the, like the, say the first most important part after the blessed is the kingdom is, is the Trisagion, is, is the, the holy God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything else is, is kind of a, a preparation or a grace-filled moment leading up to that. That's like the first major structural part of the divine liturgy. So the litany of peace was, go ahead. That's, that's interesting because whenever we have some sort of like combined service, um, mm-hmm. like there are a couple times a year exactly. that, that we yep. have a, a vesperal divine liturgy, um, yep. which is not like something that we combine. There's actually a service that's a vesperal divine liturgy. Um, or if there's a baptism or something like that, the, the Trisagion, the Holy God is where we enter into um, where it, tra- the, the sort of transfer from vespers into divine liturgy kind of thing. So yep. that's, that's interesting. 
So, so for yeah, for certain for certain services like, and it, again, it, it depends on what tradition, what bishop, or what parish you're in. But a lot of times, if you're doing a baptism, um, you will do the baptism, the ritual of baptism, and then you will you will not do these beginning things that I'm about to talk about now, and you'll just start with the Holy God, Holy Mighty, mm-hmm. Holy Mortal One, because that is really the in in a in a very real way kind of the beginning of the divine liturgy. Um, what happens now is the litany of peace, and the, any litany in the divine liturgy was added later. I mean that they're by recently, I mean like since the printing press. I mean that the, the printing press was was a major kind of solidifying, and the printing press was in the 15th century was a major solidifying moment in the divine liturgy because you you had you could print many many different divine liturgy books, and a bishop could have a bunch of different divine liturgy books, liturgicons printed for the priests and then given to them. So a lot a lot has been very um, static since then, where there was a bit more movement before that um, because you had to handwrite all the all the liturgical books. Um, but the litany of peace was put in to to bring in some sort of uh, intercession in the beginning to make sure that we're we're we understand now that we're in the kingdom of God we're asking for stuff we're we're we're, we're God is present so let us go ahead and and ask for His grace ask for the things He does now the responses here are are Lord have mercy and Lord have mercy. Um, I've been talking to my parish a lot about this. Lord have mercy is is our our traditions, our Byzantine Catholic traditions way of just saying, Lord, do what you do. So m- we don't wanna overdefine mercy here. It means that I need forgiveness from God. It means that I need I need him to kind of overlook some of the things I've done, to fix me for some of the things I've done, but it means so much more than that. Lord have mercy is kind of a phrase that I've always used, kind of like a speaking in tongues type thing. If I don't know what to ask for, if I'm either really happy and I my mind is going a mile a minute and I'm so happy, I wanna thank God for everything and I want to ask for everything and I'm kind of have this manic moment in prayer, um, and I, I'm being, I'm ineloquent. I can't think what to say because I'm so manic in prayer. Then Lord have mercy is the perfect thing to say. If I'm so depressed or down, if I'm so sad and I'm just, I don't even want to move. I don't, I'm kind of mad at God, but also just kind of bored with him. I mean, you know, all these kind of weird prayerful situations we find ourselves in sometimes when that happens too. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say to him right now, you know? And then what's what you can say? Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy is kind of an all purpose. That's why that's a major part of the Jesus prayer, right? Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy. I'm a sinner. The Lord mm-hmm. have mercy is in there. Um, so there's something about that phrase. So Lord have mercy is is the response. It's obviously short, easy to memorize. We have a melody for it. Um, and it just means Lord do what you do. You know what I need better than I know. And so Lord have mercy becomes that. So, but then there are these petitions. The first one is in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. People respond, Lord have mercy. Second one, for peace from on high, for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. People say, Lord have mercy. Third, for peace in the whole world, for the stability of the holy churches of God, for the union of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. And then you go on praying for the church, praying for the Pope, praying for our bishops, praying for our government, um, praying for the city we live in, the community, praying for good weather, uh, praying for you know f- uh, the abundance of the fruits of the earth, praying for peace, praying for those who are not there because they're traveling, praying for the dead, praying for those who are in affliction, wrath, and need. Um, et cetera. So there's all these petitions that the response is, Lord have mercy. For you Roman Catholics, um, you normally would have like the, the prayers of the faithful. You'd respond like, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Um, it's kind of similar here where you're asking for a list of things. But I just want you to notice that the first three petitions begin with peace. 
Hmm. In peace, let us pray to the Lord for peace from on high, for the salvation of our souls, for the third one, for peace in the whole world. There, there's, a, there's an ascending or an intensifying desire for peace. So the first petition in peace, let us pray to the Lord um, actually originally referred to like you just walked into church, so be at peace. In other words, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. So the peace here refers to peace um, like with each other in the room and calming down. So you've just left the world, the craziness of getting to church, the kids' shoes are untied, the two of the kids are fighting, you had to separate them. Here, you're, you're, you're leaving the world with all of its anxieties and all of its craziness. And now you're here gathered in church. And so now be at peace. Calm down, settle down, we're about to pray. That's the first petition for peace. The second one for peace from on high and for the salvation of our souls, that refers to let us also be not only at peace with each other, but let us be at peace with God. Mm-hmm. And remember that, that we, are, we are asking for not only peace with each other, but also peace with God. And this is kind of the vertical of the cross. The third petition for peace in the whole world for the stability of the holy churches of God, for the union of all. So this is now peace with not only the people in the room, in my community, not, not only peace with God, but also peace with my neighbor and, and peace with the world. In other words, we're asking for peace all over. So um, first three petitions are for peace in, these, in, in, in various ways, again, with the community there, with God, and then with the rest of the world. And then all of these other petitions um, that come up. And one quick note, one thing that, that I don't remember learning in seminary, but that has certainly struck me since as I celebrated the liturgy, um, when the deacon, the deacon is the one who does these petitions, if you have a deacon, um, he is representing the people, just like we have in the Old Testament, the angels bring the prayers of the people up to heaven and then the angels bring the word of God back down to the people. So the, the deacon here symbolizes the angels. And so he is standing outside the iconostas and he is, is praying these petitions, representing the people. They answer, Lord, have mercy to, to acknowledge that he is saying what they want him to say and asking for these prayers. Um, that that are that are a response here, but right at the second to last petition, protect us, save us, have mercy on us, and preserve us, O God, by your grace. Um, all the previous petitions, the deacon was talking to the people. In other words, he was saying, "In peace, let us pray to the Lord." When he says "us," who is he talking to? He's talking to the people, right? And the, this mm-hmm. is us praying. And all the petitions up to that point are all him speaking to the people. And the people respond, Lord, have mercy. This one is actually, he stops speaking to the people and he talks directly to God. Protect us, save us, have mercy on us and preserve us, O God, by your grace. So there's, so what I do is I'll actually make this out of the cross, whether I'm doing that or deacon is, to remind myself that this petition is different. We're, we're, rather than speaking to the people. So like the blessed is the kingdom of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is kind of just a proclamation. So yeah. you're not, you're talking to everybody and everything, you know. Then in peace, let us pray to the Lord, you, the deacon is talking to the people and then protect us, save us. The deacon is talking directly to God. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an important acknowledgement within the, the change of audience at that part. And then he goes back to the people again commemorating or speaking for the people, commemorating our most holy, most pure, most blessed, glorious lady, the Theotokos, never Virgin Mary with all the saints. Let us commit ourselves and one another and our whole life to Christ our God. So we talk to the people again and including himself and that and the people respond to you, O Lord. And then the priest or the, the bishop, the celebrant comes in and then he definitely directs, directly to, he talks directly to God to conclude that litany. 
and the people respond amen to agree. Yeah, I I want to point out just because in the the first one in the first episode of this when you were talking about all of the preparatory prayers and you were talking about the vesting, you mentioned that the epitarchelion, the the stole that is worn starting as a subdeacon and then worn in a different way um, for the deacon, the priest, the bishop. Um, the you had mentioned, I think, on that podcast that the deacon, the way that he wears it. Um, it's meant to be always held until until it's time to distribute the Eucharist, and so and that it's meant to to represent in some way the wings of the angels. And so at this point at the litanies, um, as the as the deacon is is saying this, did I say deacon? I meant deacon. You said or did deacon. I say priest? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, as the deacon is saying the litany, praying the litany, he's holding up. Um, the epitrachelion, the the stole that's representing the wings of the angels, um, to symbolize exactly what you're saying, Father Michael, of the the angels bringing our prayers up to God and bringing God's word down to us. And there's a double meaning there. So it symbolizes the wings of the angels, like you just said, sister. But it also um, comes from the ancient senates, where that was a vestment of authority. So when you mm. see an icon of Christ and you see him wearing a deacon vestment. Um, in Icons of Christ, he's wearing a deacon vestment. He's vested as a deacon. And that's because he's the greatest servant, of course, because diaconia means deacon, but it also means authority. So so these are these are pre-Christian vestments that, 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 that we wear, but it symbolizes authority. So when the deacon's holding it up, he's not only, uh, like you said, sister, showing his role as intercessor and representative of the people, but mm-hmm. he's also um, speaking because he has the authority to speak. Mm-hmm. And so that that vestment is has multiple meanings, but two of those meanings are mm-hmm. the, interse- the the intercessory role, if you will, of angels, but also then the the authority of someone who's been given authority by by Christ and by the church in this case to speak for the people. Not just not everybody could do that. A deacon is ordained to speak for the people, mm-hmm. um, and that's he's holding that up to kind of remind himself and the congregation to say, look, I have the authority to do this now to speak mm-hmm. for the people. And therefore in this liturgy, God is listening to one who has authority to speak for them. Yeah. Awesome. So that, that litany concludes, Lord, our God, the celebrant says, Lord, our God, mighty beyond description, glorious above all understanding, merciful without limits, loving us all beyond expression. Look with compassion on us and on this holy church, O Master, and show us and those who pray with us the riches of your tender mercy, then the doxology for you, for to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is due all glory, honor, and worship now and ever and forever. And then amen. an amen. Remember the amen just means, we talked about this earlier um, because you misunderstood it. Um, but the, uh, the uh, um, <laughs> amen means like, yes, I agree. So um, the amen said by the people after the priest has the prayer was is pretty much saying, I I. I agree that what the priest said also represents me Mm. uh, with with that, amen. All right, um, next comes the antiphons. Um, The antiphons were not part of the original liturgy. Um, They are older than the litany though, but the antiphons were actually part of the process of getting to the liturgy. So the antiphons, when you hear like antiphonal singing, that means you have at least two different groups and they're, they're, they're singing back and forth. So like antif- antiphonal singing for the Psalms, which is probably the most uh, often use of antiphonal singing means mm-hmm. like if you have one side of the church sing one of the verse, for verse number one, other side of the church sings verse number two, back to the first side, verse number three, the other side, verse number four. Um, that's what refers to the antiphons. But in the early church, 
most people could not read. So if you handed the whole congregation a psalter and said, let's do <laughs> left side of the church uh, sings, you know, uh, the first verse number one, right side of the church sings verse number two and they go back and forth. Like people are like, we don't read. Like we <laughs> And plus before printing press, you didn't definitely did not have enough psalters for everybody mm-hmm. to be holding one in their hands. That's why like, especially in the, if you've ever been like traveled to Western Europe and you see these old Benedictine and Carthusian monasteries, um, you know, the, these monasteries have less, existed long before the printing press. So they have the Gregorian chant is set in these massive, massive books. I mean, one of the pages of the books can be, you know, three, four feet high. Mm-hmm. And the the words and the notation are absolutely massive. So that's what it was, is you, you didn't hold the book in your hand. You had one in the very front and everybody could see it, but for everybody to see it, it had to be massive. So in the Eastern churches, we generally couldn't afford a massive book like that. So what they would do was they would have little um, responses like through the prayers of the Theotokos, oh Savior, save us. And the cantor who could read would sing a verse or two or three or five. And then the people would have that response. Mm-hmm. And the responses were easy enough to memorize so that people could kind of participate in this back and forth, this call and response. And those who could read would read the Psalm and the people would have a response for it. And they didn't need to be able to read in order to have that. So the, the antiphons were actually initially part of, of almost like a parade mm-hmm. or a procession to church. So you weren't even in the church yet. You were walking from your home chapel or you were walking from your home and you were going to the cathedral, which is where the divine liturgy was. And the cathedral is where the bishop was. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but but everybody went to the cathedral in the town in, in the early church, let's say in, in Constantinople. Um, and that is one of the reasons why our censors have bells on them because um, the deacons would always sense the bishop. Like as, as he was walking down, the bishop was the greatest representative of Christ that we had. And, and so as a successor of the apostles. And so the deacons, as the bishop was processing to the cathedral down the city streets, um, the deacon would be incensing him. The deacons, usually two of them would be incensing him. So the bells allowed people to hear the bells. And when the people heard the bells, they knew here comes the bishop. And so whether they they were at home or either in their private chapels or in their neighborhood chapel, they would hear the bells and they would leave and join in the procession and now join in the antiphonal singing of these Psalms that prepared them to go to the cathedral. And this is, this is pre-Christian too. I mean, any, any of the, the Jewish pilgrimages to the Holy Land or to the Holy Sites almost always involved the, the chanting or the singing or the saying of Psalms. The Psalms are very much seen as a way of preparation. You hear, you've heard the term, the Psalms of ascent. Um, mm-hmm. the, these were the, the Jewish Psalms as people were ascending um, whatever mountain or shrine as they were getting there. These were the last Psalms who were chanting to prepare them to have this experience of this this shrine, whatever it is. And so the, the, the antiphons are now following the litany of peace and the divine liturgy, but they were originally just a way of having this singing during procession to get to the cathedral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had, when, uh, when our community went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land with a Melkite group, we would sing. We were, we would sing the Psalms of Ascent on our like on our bus trip. Um, every time we were heading into Jerusalem, beautiful. Um, like from Galilee and stuff, and it was very very cool. Yeah, that is, and so. and so all all of these next things are actually going to be just literally. These were things done generally in the context of this procession on the way to church. Um, but, uh, but some of them were added a little bit later on. But you then have the, the hymn of the incarnation. Hymn of the incarnation is, is kind of part of the antiphons, is part of that process, but it's a little mini creed. 
him in the incarnation goes, O only begotten Son and Word of God. But these are all chanted, by the way. I, don't, I didn't say that in the beginning. In the Byzantine rite, everything's chanted. O only begotten Son and Word of God, who being immortal, deigned for our salvation to become incarnate of the Holy Theotokos and ever Virgin Mary and became man without change. You were also crucified, O Christ our God, and by death have trampled death, being one of the Holy Trinity, with the, glorified with the Father and the Holy Spirit, save us. So a little, a little mini creed and, and statement of belief. Um, it, it, any creed, any statement of belief is a very unifying thing. So it's, it's, it's very similar to in peace, let us pray to the Lord, where we're kind of making sure that we are of one mind here, of one heart as we gather in prayer. Uh, Jesus says, of course, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So this is a little statement of belief, making sure that this community gathered here is gathered in Christ's name. And, and making sure that we are, we are unified in, in what we're doing here and in our reasoning for doing it. Another thing you can have is the Beatitudes at this point. The Beatitudes can also be part of this, these, this um, antiphon or, or preparation rite that is done as kind of a, a, a gathering um, portion of the liturgy before, before it found its, its current form with the beginning with the Litany of Peace. All right. Um, at this point, at this point, then we have what's called the little entrance. Um, the little entrance uh, was initially when the bishop would walk into the church. Um, so um, the little entrance nowadays, you'll see the deacon, the priest, and the bishop, or the 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 priest and the deacon, excuse me, will take the gospel book off the altar, will walk out of the, the Holy of Holies, walk out the side door, process either just right around the front of the iconostas or all the way to the back and up. But this procession with the gospel book, the gospel book's the most important part. And I just learned recently, by the way, that the deacon carries the gospel book in front of his face. It's almost like a, a veiling of his ego. It's, mm. it's, um, it can symbolize a, like a veiling of, of his own glory of his ego and to, to show the gospel book, like pay attention, look at this right now, don't look at my face. And there's a, a certain hum, um, humbling, it's a humbling action. Very similar to if you look at icons and, and that the tops of the mountains are always flattened in iconography. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the glory of the mountain is its peak. And so in the presence of the great mystery of God, all the mountains are, are flattening their peaks as a sign of, of humility before something so much greater, like the creator of those mountains, Jesus Christ himself. So the deacon carries the gospel book in front of his face or the priest says if there's no deacon and, and kind of veils his face, veils his ego in order to promote and to show the gospel book. But the gospel book was a later addition. Initially, it wasn't a procession with the gospel book. It was a procession when the bishop entered the church because the, the gospel book, of course, is the word of God. So it's, it's kind of symbolizing the arrival of Christ into the gathered community. But an even greater image of that is the bishop himself. So the gospel book, the procession of the gospel book didn't come into um, part of the liturgy until after there were so many parishes that the bishop could not be at every one. And then so the gospel book to the, took the place of the bishop when it was being, when it was being processed in. Um, and this is, again, if the antiphons were on the way, this is the arrival of the bishop at, at the church itself. Um, and so we call that the little entrance, the great entrance you'll hear next time. Um, and that is the, when the gifts, the bread and the wine are brought into, into the church. But this is a little entrance when the gospel book or the bishop um, enters into the church at that point. And you'll still see in hierarchical divine liturgies, mm-hmm. divine liturgies where the bishop celebrates, you'll, you'll, you'll still see him um, according to some traditions. Um, he will not enter into the, the Holy of Holies until this point. And mm-hmm. it, that comes from that ancient tradition. All right, little entrance. And then 
Um, when after the little entrance, then we have the Draparian and the Gantakian. These are are two uh, changeable parts. The, the, these change based upon either the order of the weeks or the feast or the saint. And um, these were, were based, our, our church composed hymns based upon some theological principle or some feast or some saint, etc. Um, generally, traparia just means church composed hymn. That's what it refers to, something that the church wrote that's not from the scriptures, in other words, something that was written by a, a poet or by a writer that it is not scriptural. Uh, the Kontakian is the same thing, but that the Kontakian used to be like the homily. So mm-hmm. oftentimes the Kontakia, they, they, they're very similar to each other, these two parts of the prayer, but the Kontakian will be more, more homiletic, more like kind of taking the word of God and, and adapting it to people's lives, which of course, what a homily is, but these are technically also part of the the antiphons, the, these preparatory rites before we get to the before we get to the holy God. That's interesting because um, I've ne- I've never known that about the Kentuckian, or I maybe knew it at some point and forgot. But I find that interesting because at Matins morning prayer, which is my favorite of the liturgy of the hours, um, the Kentuckian is always followed by the Ecos. And and the ecos is is super homiletic. Like it's it's uh it's really teaching about whatever whatever is happening for the day or the feast or um so it's very um what's the word I'm looking for? Catechetical. Mm. So Another another part that I found is 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 the Ambon prayer, which I'll talk about next time. Mm. The Ambon prayer is like the dismissal mm-hmm. prayer at the end of the divine liturgy. And the Ambon prayer is is very I almost wish I'm like on feast days. I need to read that before I write my homily because mm-hmm. there's some images in the Ambon prayer that would be perfect for reflection upon oh, the homily yeah. because it reflects upon the feast. Mm-hmm. All right, and then at this point, then we 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 get into the the thrice holy hymn. So the priest prays silently while the people are singing the Draparian and the Kentuckian. The priest prays silently a prayer, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a bit long, but. Holy God, dwelling in your heavenly sanctuary, praised by the seraphim with a thrice holy hymn, glorified by the cherubim and adored by all the heavenly powers. Now, again, he's he's in this prayer, he's acknowledging the presence of God in heaven. And that's because the bishop who symbolizes the presence of God has just walked into has just walked into the church. So in a sense, um, the bishop has walked into the kingdom of God here in the church. And so he, we're acknowledging the kingdom of heaven there where God sits enthroned. And now the bishop is in a sense moving into his throne. Every every cathedral has a throne for the bishop. Um, and then talk about the glorification of the angels. You created us in your own image and liked us. Talking about creation, again, the, the presence of God is here. So we're reflecting upon the glory. We're thanking him. Um, we're, we're kind of describing um, what he does, why he does it. Um, and then, then we, like a statement of humility, you have allowed us your humble and unworthy servants to stand at this very hour before the glory of your holy altar. Um, the, the priest of the bishop here is, is standing in awe of the great gift of, of our ability to stand at the altar. And then it's, it's a statement of thanksgiving and awe at the, at the immense dignity of, of this presence. Um, and this is a this is a preparation for now the most important part of the very beginning of the divine liturgy, which is the the thrice holy hymn. And then so then the in some Byzantine traditions there's a small litany here. In our Ruthenian books, the, there's no litany; it's just merely the the last prayer of that small litany. And then the the celebrant says out loud, "For you are holy, O our God. We give glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever, and forever." And then the people sing the thrice holy hymn: "Holy God." 
holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. They sing that three times. The reason why this is such an important part of the divine liturgy, because here we are, of course, quoting the angels who are celebrating. The angels are the ones who sing holy, holy, holy. We are quoting the angels in the fact that they are doing more perfect liturgy than we are in heaven. And here we are imitating them, participating in that liturgy. Um, but but the fact that we are given the grace by God to imitate the angels, to participate in their praise of God mm. um, in this unbloody sacrifice of the divine liturgy. Um, that's why this is such an important part and the most important part in this, the first part of this first part of the liturgy. Hmm. Um, can, you, can you explain, well, I'm a little bit putting you on the spot here because maybe you don't know this, but um, the <laughs> the ahead, reasoning uh, the reasoning for um, so when there's a when there's a hierarchical liturgy um, the the people so normally the people say the holy God thrice and then glory to the Father Son Holy Spirit now and ever and forever Amen and then repeat the mm -hmm. Trisagion one more time. Um, however, when there's a hierarchical liturgy and the bishop is solemnly celebrating. Um, then the people only say it twice. Then the bishop does it the third time. And then I think the deacon says, give glory to God. Mm -hmm. um, is that right? Give glory to God, give something. And then- it's One of the translations, yeah. And, and, then, um, and then the people sing glory and then go back and say the holy God again. Yeah. Um, I don't, but that's why we begin the next podcast with- Things from the previous ones. I will find the answer to that. Great. Before the next time. Great. But well, yeah, so in a hierarchical, hierarchical divine liturgy, again, the, the bishop does one of the verses of mm -hmm. the holy God and he usually does it in Greek. Oh yeah, it's so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. Especially when you have a bishop with a really good voice, which we do. Bishop Milan has an amazing voice. Nice, amen. So yeah, uh, yeah we'll, we'll find that before next time. Great, Great. question. Um, all right, and then as soon as that is over, then we have the readings. Um, in the Byzantine tradition, uh, the Old Testament readings are done the night before. We don't have Old Testament readings explicitly done in the divine liturgy like, like the Novus Ordo Roman Catholic tradition does, but we do hear Old Testament readings, explicit readings from the Old Testament the night before. So if Vespers and the night before is a preparation for the day of, just like Old Testament's preparation for the new, so that's when we hear the Old Testament readings. But we have a lot of Old Testament. We already talked about the Psalms. Of course, the Psalms are Old Testament. So all the antiphons are Old Testament. And now we have the Perkimenon. The Perkimenon is, is, is almost always a, a prayer of the Psalms. It's almost mm -hmm. like, it's similar to like the responsorial Psalm in the West in, in the Roman Catholic mass. Um, but it's just a, it's a Psalm that prepares for the, the first reading. We only have two explicit readings from the scriptures in a divine liturgy. And the first one is the epistle. It's, it's the letters of St. Paul um, or one of the epistles done by Paul or Peter, um, et cetera, or actually the apostles. And that's the first reading. And when this reading is done, it is done by someone in the congregation who stands in the congregation facing towards the altar because the epistles were written for and by the people. So mm -hmm. um, you stand in the congregation facing the altar with the people when you, when you chant the epistle. Um, after the epistle then is the Alleluia. Again, these are ancient traditions. So you, you see this in the Roman mass as well, for those of you that are Roman Catholic. Um, Alleluia, again, verses are most of the time, uh, verses between the Alleluias are Psalms again. So you get a bit of Old Testament in there. Then you have the gospel. 
and the gospel is chanted uh, by the deacon, priest, or bishop, and it is chanted right outside the royal doors facing the people. So the difference is that the epistle, the letter of St. Paul or Acts the Apostles, is coming from the community. It's, it's a letter to build up and to impact the community. It's a letter, when, the, when, when epistles are written, they were written to guide the community for the everyday life of the people and the teaching of Jesus Christ. The gospels are the story of Jesus Christ. So it's more of a, of a direct teaching coming from heaven, from God himself to the people. So the gospel is, is given by the deacon, priest, or, or bishop from the altar facing the people. The epistle comes from the people facing the altar. Mm. I just have one thing to mention. Um, when you say that the the reader would proclaim would would um, chant the the epistle from the congregation and standing in the midst of the congregation, I also want to point out that that used to be and in some churches still is an ordained position. the The lector was one of the minor orders. Very good. The point. reader. Yeah. yeah. In the ancient church, you didn't do anything publicly unless you were ordained to do it. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't, you weren't the cantor. Cantor was an ordained position. Serving at the altar was an ordained position. Carrying a candle was an ordained position. All of these things that we actually have, we have seven ordinations. The first four are the minor ones. So, if you're going to read the epistle, you're ordained to do it. If you're going to cantor the divine liturgy, you're ordained to do it. If you're going to be an acolyte, namely carry a candle around for the various aspects, you're ordained to do it. And then um, lector, cantor, candle bearer, then subdeacon. Subdeacon is, is kind of a, a higher level server and a sacristan. Um, and then you have the three major orders, deacon, priest, and bishop. So you, you didn't do anything publicly in the divine liturgy mm-hmm. at all unless you were ordained to do it. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I think we need to kind of return to that, that reality where, where you're, you're, you're called on by the, the bishop, by the mm-hmm. eparchy to do these various roles in the divine liturgy. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, so after the gospel, and then there, this has not always been the place for the homily. And to this day, some churches actually do, do the homily at the end of the liturgy to not break it up. Because you notice we've been up to this point, we've been doing everything you're reading out of the book. It's a ritual, everybody's doing the same thing and it allows the congregation to gather and pray together. Um, and the homily kind of breaks that up, right? Because all of a sudden now you have a priest kind of saying whatever he wants to, or a deacon or a bishop saying whatever they want to, and it can break up the, the flow and the structure of the liturgy. Um, the reason why it's there is because by the end of the liturgy, I imagine the reason why they moved it there was because people will kind of forgotten what the readings were. And then the, the homily should be, of course, a reflection on the reading. So in one sense, it makes sense to do that right after the reading. So the, 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 the role of the homilist is to take the word of God and the traditions of the church, namely the feasts and, and events in the life of the church and, and to, to make them al- applicable, to make them palatable, to make them um, helpful to the people of that day and age. So the scriptures are now over 2000 years old. And so the homilies, homilist's job is to take 2000 year old scriptures that are still living and active because they're the word of God and, and apply that to the lives of the audience that he is, he is speaking to in that congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might get the homily right after the gospel, you might get it at the end of the liturgy. Um, and then just to kind of finish up real quick, because we're at an hour, um, 
the uh, following that is is three more litanies until we finish this portion of the divine liturgy. I'll get to the rest next time. But um, there's just a, what the insistent or the litany of fervent supplication that was inserted um, in times of great tension. So that you actually say three Lord have mercies instead of one because there's extra tension and so extra Lord have mercies are required. Then you can have a litany for the deceased if you're praying for someone who's deceased and you have a litany for the catechumens. And I'll just stop there and I'll begin the next one with that litany of the catechumens because that's the last thing the catechumens here during this liturgy of the catechumens before they're dismissed to go continue learning about the faith. And then the next portion of the divine liturgy is called the liturgy of the faithful, where there would only be those who are fully initiated um, would, would be attending that part because it's, 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 you need the grace of God through initiation to understand it and to receive the fullness of the gifts given during that part of the divine liturgy. Mm. That's, that's great. Thanks. How you doing sister? I'm good. Are you good? Yeah, I'm great. Um, I would say, I want to say one thing for people who, we obviously, our, our podcast is not just about the liturgy um, because everything, this is a super high level view of the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. Um, <laughs> um, high level meaning like just scratching the surface and everything yep. everything goes so deep and that's not, what our entire podcast is about, so we can't go that deep. Um, however, if anyone is interested in in like really going in depth into either the entire liturgy or certain aspects of the liturgy, there's a really really great podcast called. Oh, I should have thought of this before. Father Thomas Hopko. Um, do you know this podcast, Father Michael? I, I know it. I don't know what it's called though. I know that you can look up just Father Thomas Hopko podcast. I'm, yeah, I'm looking it up right now. It's, um, it's uh, oh gosh. Um, okay, do you have anything else to say while I'm looking this up? Um, no, we can, we can, we can put it in the notes too. Um, it, it, this is worship like in spirit and truth. I found it. Okay. It's called worship in spirit and truth and it's on ancient faith radio. Um, but it's, I mean, there it's like a few dozen episodes, <laughs> this podcast, and it's all about the liturgy. So the yes. first, the first several episodes are just about the old Testament, um, giving you the context for liturgy and, and only, you know, several episodes in does he actually start talking about the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. And so he has, he's an Orthodox priest, he's deceased now. Um, and yeah, so he has like an episode about the Cherubicon, an episode about the Trisagian prayers, an episode about all of it. So, yeah. Nice, thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'd actually like to listen to that myself. Um, I've read a lot of the books, but it, it, when it's put in a popular way like that, they'd be good. Yeah, so an Orthodox priest used to teach at the Orthodox um, seminary here in the U.S. for years and years, and, and very beloved. And uh, just again, just uh, uh, just typical disclaimer. You know, the Orthodox we are unfortunately separated brethren um, from the Catholics. So, uh, but er- everything he's going to say regarding the divine liturgy is true about the divine liturgy that we Byzantine Catholics celebrate as well. Um, but just if you have any questions about if anything. Um, you hear from from anybody who's Orthodox and have any questions about w- what what we do hold um, as in the, the same level of, of truth and discipline as the Orthodox, or what we don't, you know, talk to a priest um, or or somebody who's who's educated in these things. Never 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 be ashamed of asking those questions because there are some things that that separate us and that it's just important to keep in mind. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else, sister? No. Okay. Do you have any intentions? 
Sure. I This episode, I think, is coming out at the end of October. So I would just ask that everyone pray for the upcoming elections um, and pray that we may all have peace and, and confidence and trust in God's work and his goodness. Um, and yeah, like Jesus has already conquered the world. And so not fearing, not fearing what the election may mean in terms of that. Nice. Yeah. Um, I was just quickly praying about what the intention might be and what popped in my head was just my sister, Teresa. So I uh, pray for my sister, Teresa and her husband, Cullen and, and their little ones. Um, yeah, just pray for them, Teresa Gibbons and, uh, and Cullen and, and their family. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it just popped in my head for some reason, so I'll run with it. All right. Anything else, sister? I'll give a blessing. No, please do. All right. Thank you all for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May he grant you peace this day and this week. May he allow you to understand the, the workings of the church and may you be aware of God's constant presence in your life. Um, may you always treasure praying with others where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, so he is here with us. Um, may you always find consolation and hope and urgency in the word of God and the Holy Scriptures. May you find dignity in, in praying the words of the angels, holy, 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 holy God, holy, mighty, holy, and immortal of mercy on us. May you always be receptive to the, the speaking of, of others, of, of prophets and preachers and those who, who interpret the word of God and make it effective. Um, may you be protected from any false interpretations or any attacks of the devil that may distort what the true word of God is. May you also be prophets yourselves and, and, and speak the word of God and stand in the place of the angels and intercede for those whom God has asked you to intercede for. And may you always anticipate the ongoing and very effective and dynamic work of our Lord in your life and life of others. May the Lord bless you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Love you. Love you too, sister. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>